Good morning, everyone. It's great to be together. Um, my name is Al. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm one of the elders of Gateway Church, and it's my privilege to lead um, Gateway East. I just want to um, just give one other um, very short notice just before um, I preach this morning, which is this. If you've been around Gateway for a while, you'll know that God has really been speaking to us about what it means for us to belong more closely as a, as a family, that actually the church uh, is a family, and that we gather as a family that's unlike any other family um, in the world. And, you know, as we've just had the opportunity recently, uh, both on the Gateway Day Out two, uh, two or three weeks ago and last week, um, as we gathered in the West just to worship, it's been a real privilege just to spend some extended time together um, as a family. But we recognize that often Sunday mornings are very rushed, and our times together feels like we shuffle in the door, we have a meeting, and then we go again. And actually, there isn't much time for us to be a family. So we're wanting to make uh, a small change, really, to how we gather on Sunday mornings um, to facilitate time together as a family. And this is the, basically the change, that right now we do tea and coffee at the end, and many of you, rightly so, shuffle off quickly for your Sunday lunch, which is fine because it's half 12, sometimes quarter to one, depending on who's preaching. I won't mention any names. <laughs> it's got, this will go online so you can listen to it. Um, but So we want to shift that to the beginning. So we, we're going to start from the 7th of July, so from three Sundays' time. We're going to be gathering, uh, starting our meeting will start at half past 10 with tea and coffee and refreshments. And we're going to gather as a family, spend some time just chatting, catching up, being together, and then we'll start our time of singing and worshipping at 11. So here's my request. Please don't rock up at 10.55, grab a coffee and sit down. Please come at half past 10 to, with the whole purpose of just being together as a family and having a cup of tea or coffee, catching up, praying together, being a family, and then off the back of that, we'll go into just an amazing time of singing and worshipping. One of the things I loved about the Gateway Day Out, which was over a whole day, was it just felt so natural to go from being a family and eating together and talking together into singing and worshipping together. Almost that was the most natural thing we could do, and almost that's exactly what we want to do on a Sunday morning, albeit over a shorter time frame, that we gather, we catch up, we love one another, and then in that context, we worship together. So from the 7th of July, we're, going to be, we're actually going to be saying our meeting is starting at 10.30 by sharing tea and coffee together. You can get here at 5 to 11 if you want to. Coffee will be available, but I want to ask that we come to be a family a bit earlier and just be together and love one another. So we'll, get, we'll tell more about that in the days ahead as well so that we get into the swing a bit. Right, we are partway through a preaching series on prayer, really with the desire that God would awaken us afresh in prayer and awaken us afresh to intimacy with him. Really, this is not like the next thing on our to-do list that we're not very good at is prayer, so we better teach into it. This is a desire and a zeal to see God's people awoken in prayer in a whole new way and a whole new sense of intimacy with God. And actually, if you look throughout church history, every great move of God is always preceded by God's people getting serious in prayer. The early church was birthed in a prayer room. And actually, we were believing that God is on, is, there was a great sense and desire for God to move afresh in this nation. And we recognize that we need to get serious about prayer afresh. And God wants to awaken our hearts um, to this. And so today we are going to be digging into the Lord's Prayer again. We did that two weeks ago where we looked at the topic of our Father in heaven. And what does it mean to be, to be those who understand that he is in heaven 
and to be worshipped and adored, yet he's our father and we've been adopted into his family. And the reality is that most of you, whether you're a Christian or not, will know the Lord's Prayer. Familiarity with the Lord's Prayer isn't really an issue, but my prayer this morning is that God we would, would encounter us afresh through this prayer that Jesus left us. You know, it's so significant that the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and he gave us this prayer, which originally was only 31 words long, and it rhymed like a poem. So when, G- when his disciples said, teach us how to pray, Jesus left them 31 words that revolutionized the world, if we get hold of it. This is not just about reciting it and knowing it. This is about allowing God to encounter us afresh through it. And my working assumption is this. If you're a Christian, you would love to pray more. And you would love to see more kingdom breakthrough than you see in your own life and in the life around you. But that most of us struggle to pray in reality. We want to pray more, but we struggle to pray more. And we live with this kind of, sometimes this guilt mentality of, oh, I I should do better. Oh, I should do better. Uh, Sometimes we kind of go the other way and go, well, I'm not very good at it, so I just won't bother. But actually, God says, no, I want to awaken a fresh hunger in you for prayer. And there might be a whole load of reasons why you struggle. One of which is possibly laziness. And actually, if you're lazy, the medicine to a lazy heart is getting on your knees and repenting before God. And asking him that he would birth fresh zeal in your heart. You might be disappointed through prayer. You might have prayed and prayed and prayed. And the very thing you're praying for might remain unanswered. You might be confused as to whether prayer even works. Or is it just this kind of one-way conversation into the ether, into the cosmos. You may have never really been taught or shown how to pray. And if that's you this morning... If you have a desire to pray, but you struggle, then I want to encourage you to tune in because God's going to speak to us through the Lord's Prayer, and I believe it's going to enrich and deepen our prayer lives if we get hold of it. Obviously, in half an hour, we can only cover so much, and so I just want to recommend a couple of things. If you like reading, this book by Pete Gregg um, called How to Pray is really revolutionizing my own personal prayer life in an amazing way. It's just so helpful. He prays through the Lord's Prayer. He talks about it. So if you're a reader, I want to encourage you to get hold of this book. Or there are eight sessions online which go through this called The Prayer Course. So prayercourse.org. You can go through there are eight 20-minute videos. If you're not a reader but you're a visual person, you can go online and you can watch basically what he writes about in this book. Um, and it will give you a whole load of information about prayer. And on their website, they also have this thing called the Tool Shed, which is basically 30 practical ways to help you to pray. How to pray the Lord's Prayer, how to have a quiet time, how to breathe, how to pray, how to practice meditation well. But I can't read the rest of it. So I want to encourage you, prayercourse.org or this book are both fantastic. So let's read aloud the Lord's Prayer together. It's going to come up on the screen. So, we're going to read it aloud together with with vigor and like we mean it, okay? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Amen. And actually, what we see in the Lord's Prayer is that prayer is not one-dimensional, but it actually has many different aspects, which again is going to come up on the screen. Actually, that what the Lord's Prayer teaches us in these four verses is that this isn't exclusive, but this is the core of the Lord's Prayer, that prayer is adoration. And we looked at this two weeks ago when we look at this line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord's Prayer starts with, rightly so, who he is, that he's the creator and we're the created. And therefore we come and we bow the knee and we worship God who is above all and to be praised and glorified. Yet he's adopted us into his family because he's our father. So prayer actually starts with adoration and lifting our gaze to God and to who he is. It then goes on to say, doesn't it, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what do you notice about that? It's his kingdom, it's his name, and it's his will. We are reminded in the Lord's Prayer that it is not about us, but that he is the author of this great story that we are living in, that he is the one who owns the arc of the story from beginning to end, and we are merely a small part of this great story that God is unfolding. And the psalmist in Psalm 115 puts it like this, not for us, Lord, not for us, but for your glory, make your name famous, I think is what it says. Not for us, but for you. And actually, as we start to understand the Lord's Prayer, we see it is actually a prayer of surrender and submission. Nothing will challenge your heart than to mean the words, your will be done. It is a posture of utter dependence and surrender to God. I don't know about you, but my heart leans towards self-sufficiency towards autonomy, towards my own interest. And this part of the Lord's Prayer calls me back and says, in prayer, we get to surrender and submit ourselves to God. I was reading last night um, in a book by Eugene Peterson. He said, um, to become a Christian isn't to get a different type of freedom, I think is what I said, it's to submit to a better master. It's to submit to a better master. And actually in that comes freedom. And the reality is that as we come to pray and we start by adoration, we then come into a place of surrender and submitting to him and to saying, God, we lay down ourselves for you and for your glory and for your name and for your kingdom and for your will. And that is not a prayer you pray once and move on. That's a prayer that you come back to over and over and over again. When you find your heart is drifting towards self-sufficiency, you come back and you say, no, God, your will be done, your kingdom, your name. And you drift your heart. You say, God, I want to surrender to you. When your heart goes cold, you come back and say, come on, God, I want to surrender and submit everything unto you. And do you know what you find? as you learn to surrender over and over and over again, actually that's the place where true freedom comes. Freedom doesn't come from walking autonomously, being your own master, your own boss, but actually freedom comes by surrendering to the better master, Jesus Christ, and to giving of yourself to him. 
The Lord's Prayer then goes on, give us this day our daily bread. It's this whole concept of asking, which we're going to come back to in a minute because I want to really spend most of the time there. And then it goes on, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Prayer is a place that we come for forgiveness. Forgiveness from God. Forgiveness towards others who might have wronged you or hurt you. Do you know what? Forgiveness is such a key part of the gospel message because for Jesus, forgiveness is the greatest miracle. Often in the, in the gospel accounts, when Jesus heals somebody, what does he actually say? He says, your sins are forgiven. Because for Jesus, forgiveness of sin is actually the greatest miracle, greater than healing even, greater than raising somebody from the dead. It says forgiveness is the greatest miracle. So if you're here this morning and you put your faith in Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sin, you are living in the greatest miracle that has ever taken place, that your sin has been washed clean and wiped out and your debt has been paid, and that's the greatest miracle. And so Jesus has paid the price for your sin. So when you come to God and you say, God, forgive us, it's not like, oh, please, will you? Because the Bible makes it very clear he has forgiven you. And the Bible makes it very clear he already knows. So what's the point of confessing? Do you know what confessing sin does? It brings intimacy and liberty and freedom in your walk with God. Do you know what? It's just like in our, um, my marriage to Sarah. Um, sometimes I do things that are wrong. Um, it's not, not, not too often. <laughs> I'm still learning humility. <laughs> but when, when we fall out and I, I do something wrong against Sarah, she already knows that I've wronged her. And hopefully, she's already forgiven me. Now, she's not God, so sometimes it takes her a while, unlike God who's already forgiven us. But actually, when I come to Sarah and I say, Sarah, I'm so sorry, I confess that I have wronged you, what does it do? It brings life to our marriage and health to our marriage and strength and intimacy and new life. And that is the same because actually marriage is a picture of the gospel anyway. Marriage is a picture between me, uh, uh, between me and Christ, if you like, and Sarah and Christ. And so actually as we learn to confess, it actually brings new life in our walk with God. And the Bible says that if you hold on to patterns of sin, it actually is a hindrance to prayer. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, you would not have listened to me. Do you want God to listen to you? Don't cherish sin in your heart. And if you're here this morning, you know there are patterns of sin that are unconfessed and undealt with. God says to you, he says, come and deal with them. And actually that will bring richness to your prayer life. But it's not just about us and God. It actually extends to others because... Reconciliation is what happens when the kingdom of God breaks out. Reconciliation to God and reconciliation to others. And actually, the Bible makes it very clear that forgiveness is not optional towards others, no matter how much they have wronged you. It goes on to say, after Matthew 6, verse 13, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. I think Jesus means what he says there. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That means if your heart is hardened and you refuse to go on a journey of learning to forgive somebody, that might be painful and long and taking work to get there. The Bible says the light of Jesus is not in you. And actually, you need to soften your heart 
and come towards Christ. So actually, prayer is a place of confession and reconciliation with others. And then the prayer goes on and says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I don't know about you, but I know that the Christian walk is not a stroll on the beach at sunset. It is a battle that we are in. We are in a place of warfare, if you like. Actually, the Christian life is an invitation to participate in the advance of God's kingdom against the kingdom of darkness, against the kingdom of the evil one. Therefore, in our own lives, we're to pray, God, protect us and keep us from the evil one. Keep us from sin. When the trials and the temptations of life come, keep us. Keep us strong. Keep us firm. Keep us from the evil one, we pray. It's warfare. It's not a casual God, you know. It's warfare that we're, we're actually fighting when we pray. But we also fight kingdom warfare when we cry out, your kingdom come. That your kingdom of peace and justice and mercy would advance over the kingdom of hatred and division. And actually, that's a place of warfare. That's a position of warfare. So we need to understand that the Lord's Prayer is teaching us that prayer is warfare. So we've seen that prayer is adoration. Prayer is surrender. Prayer is forgiveness. Prayer is um, warfare. But let's just come right back into the heart of the Lord's Prayer where we see that prayer is asking. At its most basic and most core prayer is asking for God's help in all circumstances. Pete Gregg puts it like this in this book I mentioned earlier. Our primary privilege as God's children is to ask audaciously and repeatedly for everything we need, expecting him to answer naturally or supernaturally. Our primary privilege as God's children is to ask audaciously or outrageously and repeatedly over and over again for everything we need, expecting him to answer naturally or supernaturally. And actually, the scope of what we ask for in prayer is vast. We see the first petition is, hallowed be your name. So the first ask is that God's name would be made holy across the nations of the world. And then we get into the second petition, give us our daily bread, the things that we need for life, for sustaining us, for food and shelter and water. But we also pray for the invasion of God's kingdom, for regime changes where there are corrupt government, for peace in the nations, for salvation for our friends and family, that the gospel is advanced, that the poor are lifted up, that that oppression ends in this world. And we ask for forgiveness and we ask to keep us from the evil ones. You see that prayer at its core is asking God, expecting him to answer. Philippians 4 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication or by prayer and requests, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. We ask for everything from our daily bread to things that will define generations like peace in the Middle East. We ask for ourselves and we ask for others. We ask for things that are seemingly natural, like shelter, and we ask for supernatural breakthrough of salvation and justice, recognizing that it all comes from God. But the reality is, when it comes to asking, one of the massive questions that we have to wrestle through is this, does prayer actually do anything? And unless you can settle that in your heart, your prayer life will be stagnant and cold And you won't ask audaciously and repeatedly. So we're just going to explore that question. And I think the the very simple answer to the question of does prayer do anything is a resounding yes. Is a resounding yes. You see in scripture over and over again, Abraham interceded for Sodom and God relented. Moses It says in Exodus 4 or 5, Moses asked God for one of the plagues to stop and God answered him. Later on, when the Israelites have turned from God and worshipped the golden calf, God says, I'm going to send my judgment upon them. And Moses says, please don't, please don't. He asked God to spare the Israelites and God relents. Elijah prayed for rain to come and it came. Daniel prayed and heaven heard. Jesus prayed and many were healed and delivered. The early church prayed and prison doors were opened. Over and over again through the story of scripture, God intervenes when his people cry out to him. And by default, therefore, when God's people don't cry out to him, certain situations are left undone. Matthew 7 tells us to keep on asking and you will receive. James 4 tells us that we do not have because we do not ask And James 5 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We can see from Scripture, from the story of the Bible and direct commands of Scripture, that prayer changes situations. And I know that from my own experience, and you will all have stories of answered prayer in your life. Let me just share a couple of them. My parents um, were involved in a church um, many years ago, I think I was 18, um, and for those of you on Facebook, you'll see that I've just turned 35, so a little while ago, and uh, the church ended quite badly, they were in leadership, and they got very bruised, and I set about praying for them to go back to church, and they didn't go back to church for over 10 years, and I remember that the day they walked through the door of the church building, I felt like my prayers had been answered. For the first time in 10 or 11 years, I was like, I'd prayed for them for a decade to reconnect with church. And I believe God heard and answered my prayer. I remember that when, uh, in two situations in our lives, when we've had to change, change jobs, firstly when Sarah stopped working, um, when we had the kids, and when I became full-time for the church, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we fasted. And the overwhelming sense we got in all situations was peace. And what does Philippians say? The peace of God will guard your heart. I believe that's an answer to prayer. Our neighbor had stage four lymphoma about two years ago. And I remember saying to him, we are going to pray that your wife lives. And we did. We, we sat in our living room, we prayed, and miraculously, the cancer relented. And I say, God, you heard the cries of our hearts, and you answered that. I remember Sarah, um, a couple of years ago in Gateway, 
um, we had a talk by a guy who said, if you want to get to know um, a Muslim and try and actually just show them the hope of the gospel, pray that God would introduce you to, uh, to someone who is um, a Muslim. And Sarah knew no Muslims at the time. And the very next day at the school, she prayed. She said, God, I want to get to know a Muslim. The very next day at the school gate, she happens to bump into a Muslim and has made great friends with this lady and has had the most wonderful gospel conversations with her. I believe that's an answer to prayer. And I love the story of D.L. Moody. Um, some of you may know him, a great American preacher in the 1800s. He, he famously kept a list of 100 uh, people in his life who had not received salvation, who weren't Christians. And he prayed for them daily over his whole life. And whenever one of them became a Christian, he ticked them off the list, this list of 100. So that by the time he had died, 96 out of those 100 people had become Christians. But even more amazing was that at his funeral, the other four surrendered their lives to Jesus. So that actually his legacy is that the hundred people that he prayed for all became Christians. Heaven hears the cries of our hearts. Friends, we are not pieces in a cosmic game of chess. But we're sons and daughters and co-heirs of the kingdom and we've been given the authority and the keys to enact and bring about the invasion of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Asking God will push back the kingdom of darkness. Asking God will bring peace in the most troubled circumstances. Asking will enact miracles. It will bring about salvation. It will bring about provision of daily bread. It will help you stand strong under trial. Friends, massive amount of kingdom breakthrough is possible as we learn to ask God repeatedly and audaciously. Will we get everything we ask for? I don't believe so. I don't believe the arc of the storyline of Scripture is that everything we cry out for will get answered. Even our most genuine, heartfelt prayers for salvation and healing. And the reason... A broad picture is this, that the kingdom of God has come through the work of Jesus, but it is unfolding until Jesus Christ returns. In Revelation 21, the promise is there will come a day where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more sadness for the former things have passed away. But we are not living in the fullness of that yet. And therefore, by... by we will still live in pain and suffering and sorrow and sadness. And even the most genuine, heartfelt of prayers may not get answered. And the reality is that takes massive maturity and trust in God. That takes a heart that is willing to say, your will be done. I remember in the church I grew up in, there was a young, a young single mum who had, a, I think, a boy who was about five. I think she was called Liz, and her son was called Thomas. I remember praying for, she had cancer, it was terminal, and she, she had no support network around her, no, no friends, uh, no family, if you like, and she had terminal cancer. And we as a church, we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And I, I can't remember that much about church growing up, but I remember praying for this woman repeatedly. And sadly, and I don't understand why, she died. And she left this boy, he was five, without a family. But in a beautiful picture of the adoption of God, the, the, leader of the, couple, the leadership couple of the church adopted this boy as a picture of the adoption that God has for us. But I don't understand why that woman wasn't healed. It didn't seem fair to me. It didn't seem just to me. 
I don't understand it even to this day why those prayers weren't answered. Does that mean I'm not going to ask? Absolutely not. Does that mean I don't pray for people to get healed now? Absolutely, I still believe in people being set free and healed today. And I've seen people healed, and I believe God heals today, but not in every time. And I don't understand why. And I'm just going to be very honest with you about that. Because most, but the biggest explanation is that the kingdom of God is still unfolding. And we don't yet live in the fullness of Revelation 21. Not every prayer will get answered, my friends. And one day into eternity, we will understand why. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed, take this cup from me. And that prayer was unanswered in the way he would have wanted. Yet we can look back and we can understand why, in the grand scheme of eternity, that prayer was unanswered and heaven was silent in that moment. And one day we will look back in eternity and we will see that actually we understand the unanswered prayer in our own lives. P.T. Forsyth says this, We shall one day come to heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. We've got to learn to be a people that ask audaciously and repeatedly to a loving, merciful, gracious Father who hears the cries of our hearts, whom we are sons and daughters and co-heirs of his kingdom, and to ask of him and to repeatedly ask of him and to persevere in prayer and trust the outcome unto him. There's a great story um, in the, the Outer Hebrides revival that many of you will know about in Scotland in the 1940s and 50s. The, the power of God just seemed to break out and revival came and something like 80% of people on the islands were saved. But there was this one particular part of the island um, called the Isle of, uh, on the Isle of Skye where it didn't seem like anything was happening. And these, these people, these believers were praying and they were praying, they were persevering in prayer night after night after night. God, will you bring the revival to these shores? And after many weeks and months of prayer, these two ladies run up to the hill of the minister, knock on his door and say, revival's coming, heaven's heard, heaven's heard, revival is about to break out. And that very night, the revival broke out in the Isle of Skye. Sometimes it takes days and weeks and months and years of persevering in prayer to see the kingdom of God breaking out and answering into situations. So we've seen that prayer is adoration, surrender, asking, forgiveness, and warfare. What is this going to mean for you tomorrow morning when you wake up and you go about your daily business? I want to finish with two things. One is this. I want us to set us the Couch to 5K challenge for prayer over this week. Many of you will have heard of the Couch to 5K program. It's a running program, basically, that gets you off your couch and running five kilometers in nine weeks. But the point is, on day one, on week one, you don't run for 30 minutes, five kilometers. You run for one minute, and then you walk for one and a half minutes. You've got to start somewhere. If you wake up tomorrow morning and, you say, I'm, and you've never run before, and you say, I'm going to run 5K in 30 minutes, you'll probably end up in a bad place. <laughs> but you start somewhere, don't you? You start with one minute of running and one and a half minute of walking, and you build up over the nine weeks. And I believe that spiritual disciplines are like this. And so if your prayer life is non-existent or patchy, I want to say to you this week, will you set aside 15 minutes every day 
at a time and a place that is convenient to you. Set aside 50 minutes. For some of you, you get up at 5 in the morning. For some of you, it's a walk at lunchtime. For some of you, it's when your children are asleep. For some of you, it's before bed. It doesn't really matter. For some of you, it's sat down on your sofa. Others of you, it's a walk if it's not raining. Some of you, it might be, for Julian, it might be in his tractor. It's okay wherever. God, you're a son or daughter, wherever you are. Set aside 15 minutes this week to pray the Lord's Prayer and to, and to pray through one aspect of the Lord's Prayer. 15 minutes. I want to challenge us to do that as a community. And actually what that will do is that will birth a hunger in us to say, I want more. I want to go deeper. I want to go richer. And then you might find yourself praying for 30 minutes or 40 or 45. But it's not about time. Forget time isn't the key. Actually what it sets in us is a discipline and a pattern. So I want to challenge us to do that. The 15 minute prayer challenge this week. I want us to respond um, now and actually just set some things that we're asking for, even to help us this week as we pray for 15 minutes. Um, so on your phone or on a notebook that you've got, or there are some post-it notes uh, in the t- on the two tables in the middle there, I want us to just write down, for, just to think for two or three minutes, and then to write down the answer to these three questions. Something that you need personally, that you're asking God for personally, give us this day our daily bread. Someone that you are praying for, that could be for salvation, that could be for peace, that could be uh, for, for other things as well. And lastly, a place or a nation or a sector of society that you want to pray for. I just want to give us a couple of moments, so feel free to write down your phone or note, but there are some post-its in the middle. And I want us to take this as a, as a declaration that we're going to respond and pray this week into some of these three things. And we're going to stand and we're going to spend a few moments crying out to God for the things that we write down. So we're just going to do that for a couple of moments and then we're going to respond.